Well, good morning, Athens First United Methodist Church, and happy Easter to you. Uh, I say that not because today is Easter Sunday, but because we are in the season of Easter. We have officially entered into the 50 days of joy, and oh, do we have a lot to be joyful about at our church. Of course, we are overjoyed to welcome so many new people into membership this morning. We are overjoyed to hear news of a, of a new associate pastor that will be appointed this coming July, Reverend Natalie Dukes Hamby, as someone who has had the opportunity to work with her in the past. I'm very excited for you to get to meet her. But of course, on this announcement Sunday, Betsy and Nancy and I are overjoyed to say that we aren't going anywhere. <laughs> now, now, that may not be joyful news to you, but it's certainly joyful news to us, and we're glad that we get at least one more year uh, together in ministry with you. It's also a joy because this morning we're, we're kicking off our new Easter sermon series. It's called Resurrection Stories. And the basic gist of this series is this. Uh, the Gospels say that Jesus, after his resurrection, was on earth for 40 days. He was with his disciples. He talked with them, ate with them, taught them. He was on earth for 40 days before his ascension. What we're going to talk about is what happened during those 40 days. Because all four Gospels have some semblance of a story of things that Jesus said, the things that Jesus did, and what we are going to discover together is what Jesus teaches us about what it means to be Easter people. More than that, we're going to look at what does it mean for us to live out our resurrection faith in the world today. This morning, the resurrection story that we begin with comes to us from the 20th chapter of the Gospel of John. I'm going to start in verse 19. I'll be reading through verse 23. Hear now the word of God. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came, and he stood among them, and he said, Peace be with you. After he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. But if you retain the sins of any, they will be retained. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Gracious God, we come to you on this second Sunday of the Easter season with grateful hearts. Or we ask that you would open our hearts and our eyes, our ears and our spirits to hear again this morning not just a word, but may it be your word. And may it be a word of hope and life and resurrection. May it be a word from you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So according to the Gospel of John, the story that we just read was the very first time that Jesus saw and spoke with his disciples 
since the resurrection. And I have to say that every time I read it or every time I think about it, I, I can't help but wonder what I would have said to the disciples if I had been Jesus and I was seeing them for the first time. I, I wonder what words I would have chosen or how I would have said them. I wonder how I would have broken the proverbial ice. Because Lord knows there's plenty of options that Jesus could have gone with. There are plenty of different words that he could have used. For instance, if Jesus was feeling rather humorous, if he was feeling light and wanted to uh, say something funny, he certainly could have shown up in the middle of the room and said, surprise. <laughs> or if he was feeling smug, he could have just shown up and said, I told you so. If he was feeling more dramatic or he wanted more of a cinematic feel in the room, he could have emerged from the shadows and said, I'm back. I remember years ago, I was sitting in an Easter Sunday service and there was a children's sermon in which the question was asked of all of the children, what do you think Jesus' first words to the, to the disciples were after he was raised from the dead? And I remember there was this little girl who raised her hand so confidently, and she said, I think Jesus said, ta-da! <laughs> to be sure, there are a lot of different choices that Jesus could have gone with, but according to the Gospel of John, the very first words that Jesus spoke to his disciples were, peace be with you. Now, if you know anything about first century customs, you're probably aware of the fact that that was a pretty conventional greeting back in the first century. Uh, that back in Jesus' day, that is something that people would say to each other literally all the time. Anytime they crossed paths, they would say to one another, Shalom Alehem, uh, which meant peace be with you or peace be upon you. And for them, that was the same thing as saying good morning or hello, uh, or as my children greet me on a daily basis with reverence and great respect. What's up, bro? <laughs> it was a very conventional greeting to use uh, back in the first century, but... In this section of the Gospel of John, one of the things you may notice is that Jesus uses that phrase three different times in seven short verses. And I've always taken that to mean that what John is wanting us to understand is that this is kind of a signal, that there's something deeper happening here, that there's something that we need to pay attention to as readers, and if we're willing to dig beneath the surface, we can discover that deeper meaning? Of course, the question is, what, what is that deeper meaning, and what did Jesus mean by that? Why would Jesus say, peace be with you, three different times? Well, some scholars say that the reason that Jesus wanted to offer words of peace from the outset was simply because of what the disciples had been through in the last 72 hours. Because as you are well aware, it was only on that previous Thursday night, the Thursday night of Holy Week, that, that Jesus had invited the disciples into the upper room. It was there where they broke bread and had the Last Supper. John even says that Jesus washed their feet. And so it was a very intimate gathering. But although some of the disciples may have had some inkling that there was trouble on the horizon, that there was danger in the air, I don't think any of them 
could have possibly have been prepared for what happened next. Because as you well know, in the next 24 hours, Jesus was crucified. Meaning that the guy that they had been following around for all of this time, the guy that they were faithfully committed to, they thought he was the Messiah, they thought he was the one, they had dedicated their life to him, and all of a sudden, he's put to death on a cross. Can you even fathom the roller coaster of emotions that the disciples must have been on that week? Not only that, but you know that they had to have been scared because, of course, they assumed that the same authorities that had put Jesus to death were coming after them next. And so, not only did the, did the Gospels tell us that they, they scattered and fled, but John says that they hid away in fear. That they went back to the upper room where they, they pulled the shades and they closed the doors and they, they fastened that deadbolt as tightly as it could go because they wanted to make sure nobody got through. Because, of course, they were scared. They were petrified. They were fearful in the same way that any of us would be fearful. And although none of us have ever been in those kinds of shoes before, I don't know that any of us know the depths of fear that the disciples felt on Easter weekend. I think we can all, at least in some way, shape, or form, understand what they were going through because all of us, all of us, have been afraid. I know when I was six years old, my parents uh, took us on our very first trip uh, to Walt Disney World, which was so exciting, I have to tell you, uh, because... Um, not only was it my very first plane ride, but we got to spend an entire week at a hotel with a heated pool. That was just amazing to me as a kid from growing up in Connecticut. But not only that, but we got to spend the entire week in the happiest place on earth, and we were just so excited to finally get there. The only problem was that about 14 million other people decided to go the same week. Why? Because it was Easter week, and little did we know that that is one of the busiest weeks of the entire year, and all of the parks are packed to the gills. Well, one morning, we're walking through Magic Kingdom, we're navigating the crowded areas and all like that, and trying to make our way, and we were, we were coming through a, a section of Magic Kingdom called uh, Liberty Square. It's where, where the ferry boat is docked and, and Hall of Presidents. So we're making our way through when all of a sudden six-year-old Jeremy looks over and I see this thing called a pillory. Now a pillory is uh, basically an old-fashioned wooden set of stocks uh, that you were able to like put your head through and your hands through and you could pretend that you were being punished like in the olden days. Well, I just thought this was the coolest thing ever. So without even thinking, I immediately make a beeline for the pillory to see what it was all about. The only thing is, I didn't tell my parents. <laughs> and so while they kept walking this way, I made a beeline that way, and it wasn't very long before I realized I'd done messed up. <laughs> because within a minute or two, I'm looking around and I realize my parents are nowhere to be found. This was exacerbated by the fact that the place was absolutely packed. There was a sea of people everywhere, and I didn't recognize anyone. So I started to feel that panic, you know, when, when, when you know, oh my gosh, I, I, I think I'm lost and I don't know what to do. 
Of course, tears started welling up in my eyes, and eventually they started coming down my, my cheeks. And thankfully, there was this really nice woman who decided to help because she looked at me in distress, and she said, oh my gosh, are you okay? Do you need help? Have you lost your family? And six-year-old little me looked up with her, at her with tears in my eyes and said, uh-huh. <laughs> and so she helped me, and she was so sweet. And thankfully, after a few minutes, we finally found them. We were, we were reunited with my family, and all was well. But I will never forget the feeling of seeing my parents for the first time after all of this time feeling lost. And I ran over to my mother, and I was much shorter back then, so I could put my arms around her legs, and she embraced me. And I remember she, she kind of rubbed the back of my head and she said, Jeremy, it's okay, it's okay. I'm right here. That is exactly what Jesus is doing with his disciples in this scene. After all that they have been through, after all of the tears and sadness and sorrow, he is simply showing up to say to his friends, it's okay, I'm right here. In fact, John says that after Jesus gives them his, his beginning, initial, peace be with you, greeting, he then immediately shows them his hands and his side. He, he shows them his crucifixion scars because that is Jesus' way of saying to his disciples, it really is me. After he shows them his scars, John says, that for the second time in just a matter of minutes, Jesus says once again, peace be with you. And you have to wonder if at that point the disciples finally got it. You have to wonder if at that point they finally realized that this was no conventional greeting, this was not just Jesus showing up to say hello, but rather this was, in so many ways, a fulfillment of something that Jesus said in the upper room. Because if you go back to chapter 14 in the Gospel of John, it kind of begins what scholars call Jesus' farewell address. It is the longest sustained uh, uh, scripture passage in the Gospel of John where Jesus is speaking the entire time. It's nothing but red letters if you have a red letter Bible. And ultimately, what this farewell, farewell address, this farewell discourse is offering are Jesus' final words to his disciples. He's saying, here's what I want you to remember. Here's what I want you to know. Here are some last things that I want to impart. And so he gets all the way through this discourse. He gets through all of the many things he wants to say. And then at the end of chapter 16, right before he prays for them, Jesus says this. I have said all of these things unto you so that you might have peace. For in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, Jesus says, for I have overcome the world. In other words, what Jesus is doing in this scene on Easter evening is he's making a callback to the upper room. He's saying to the disciples, do you remember what I said? Do you remember how I told you that I was going to give you peace? Well, here it is. And in the moment that the disciples needed it the most, Jesus shows up in their midst, in the midst of all of the tears and sadness and fear and trepidation, and he offers them peace.
But notice that it's not just words of peace that Jesus offers them. He also offers them actions of peace. Because immediately after saying, peace be with you for the second time, Jesus then says, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you, and he breathes on them the Holy Spirit. Now what's fascinating to me about this part of the story is the fact that what Jesus is doing to the disciples is he's offering them a commission. He's saying, I want you to go. I want you to be my disciples in the world. I want you to be my hands and feet and continue the work that I started. I want you to go out of this place and continue the ministry that I started. But here's what I want you to remember. You will not do it alone. And you will not do it under your own power. For what I'm giving you is the gift of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is a gift of peace. What Jesus understood is that peace is not found in the absence of problems. Jesus understood that real peace is found in the presence of God, and that is exactly what the Holy Spirit is. The Holy Spirit is the presence of God who says, I will always be with you. The Holy Spirit is the power of God that says, I will always be within you. And therefore, you do not have to be afraid. Because the good news of Easter isn't that somehow God made all of the bad stuff of life somehow disappear. Uh Uh-uh. No, the real good news of Easter is the fact that God gave us the hope and the strength and the power of the resurrection to overcome anything that might ever befall us, no matter what we ever face, God says, and I'm giving you my Holy Spirit to let you know that I'll be right there with you every step of the way. And there isn't anything, anything you'll ever face alone. As the author Ron Greer once said, the good news of Easter is that God always has a resurrection waiting for us beyond all of life's crucifixions. Brothers and sisters, that, that, that's the good news. That no matter what we face, the Holy Spirit is with us. Now, I remember a couple years ago, I heard a story about a retired school teacher and a retired, retired administrator uh, from the state of New Hampshire. His name was Gregory Barnes. And when Gregory was getting towards the end of his life, he decided that he wanted to write a, a kind of a short memoir of all of the things that he had experienced in life. And so he dutifully sat down and he put it together and he wrote a book. As you can imagine, when you read through his stories, you discover that They are filled with lots of ups and downs and twists and turns and highs and lows and everything in between because, well, that's life for you, right? I guess in a lot of ways that's to be expected. He starts the whole thing off by by telling stories about his childhood and how he was mostly raised by a single dad. He said, because when I was eight years old, my mother died of an illness. She was taken from us far too early, and he said, it was one of the hardest things I've ever experienced in my life. He said, as I continued to grow, I I kind of found my way playing baseball. In fact, I even got a scholarship to go to college 
and play ball. After college, I spent two years playing in the minor leagues, and I was doing pretty well. But it was then that I got drafted by the Army, and I was sent across the sea to, to serve in the Korean War. But before I left, he said, I, I told my then-girlfriend, as soon as I get back, we're getting married. And that was the plan. And he said, 18 months later, I came home, and we were ready for the big day, and she left him at the altar. Not figuratively, literally. He said it was literally the day of. Everybody showed up. The place was decorated. And she wrote me a note saying, I'm sorry. I just don't love you anymore. He said that was really, really hard. But a few years later, I met a girl that actually made me happy that that other girl had left me at the altar because she was the love of my life. She gave me 18 of the happiest years I've ever experienced, and she gave me three beautiful children. But one morning, he said she was going out to get the morning newspaper, and when she stepped off the curb, she was opening the mailbox, and there was a car that came careening around the corner. The driver had been drinking, and she died on impact. He said, I have never, ever felt pain like that before. In his memoirs, he told stories about his children. He said two of them went off to college and two of them have been very successful and have wonderful families. But my son, my youngest son, he fell into drugs. And for whatever reason, he's just never been able to shake it. In fact, I remember coming home from work one day expecting him to be there, and he had left. He got up without a trace and without a note, without a word, and he just left. And to this day, he said, I still don't know where he is. When you read this memoir, you, you realize that story after story is just filled with these ups and downs and twists and turns and highs and lows and everything in between. He said, it's not been easy, but I've been able to make it. I've been able to keep my head up and keep my faith through it all. The reason why, he said, is because I have never forgotten the words of a minister who came to my house on the day that my mother died. He said, I remember he came and he wanted to offer a prayer, so we prayed. But after the prayer was over, I remember the minister, he, he put his arm around me and he drew me in close. And he said to me, Gregory, I, I want you to know something. The same way that I'm holding you close right now, Jesus is holding you close too. But here's the difference. In a few minutes, I'm going to let go. I'm going to let you loose. And I'm going to leave. But Jesus will never let you go. He will never let you loose. And he will never leave. I want you to hold on to that for as long as you can. Whenever you feel scared, whenever you feel alone, whenever you feel afraid. I want you to remember those words. Gregory Barnes said, I have for all of my life. I never have forgotten them. And therefore, even in my darkest days, he said, I, I feel the supernatural presence of God with me and within me. He said, I feel this sense of divine peace. 
And that's because he's come to understand that peace is not found in the absence of problems. Real peace is found in the presence of God. Jesus knew that. That's why one of the last things he did in the Gospel of John is he gave to his disciples the gift of the Holy Spirit. Not because the Holy Spirit would magically make all of the problems of life go away, but because the Holy Spirit gives us the power and the strength and the hope to overcome anything that we'd ever face. Three times Jesus said to his disciples, peace be with you. And part of the reason why is so that they might remember his words from the upper room. I've told you all of these things so that you might have peace. For in this world you will have trouble. But take heart. Take heart. For I have overcome the world. Let us pray. Gracious God, we give you thanks for good news, for resurrection news, for news of an empty tomb, even in a world where it can sometimes be hard to face tomorrow. God, sometimes when we look at the world around us, we realize that it still very much feels like Good Friday. And so it is that we tend to get scared we feel alone or we get anxious. But we thank you that this day you would remind us of your promise to give us the gift of the Holy Spirit so that no matter where we go or what we do, we will never be alone. And whatever it is that you have called us to do in this life, we will not do it under our own power. For your Holy Spirit is with us and your Holy Spirit works within us. God, remind us of that every single day so that no matter what we face or what may befall us, no matter what stands on the other side of tomorrow, that we can experience your peace that transcends all understanding and that we can have resurrection hope because you live. It's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. Amen.